In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Welcome, listeners, to this week's edition of Moving Forward. I'm your host, Kristen Nepper, and today my guest is Yusuf Treya. Yusuf is the owner of Bridgeland Market in Calgary, the southwest of the Northeast, which I love that. Thank you for being here, Yusuf. Thank you. So let me ask you, why a grocery store? Why a grocery store? Well, it wasn't like I woke up one day and I wrote to Santa and said, I want a <laughs> grocery store for Christmas. Mind you, I never, nice. celebrated, Chris- Mind you, I never celebrated Christmas. Um, simple fact of the matter is, is that my family, whether it be on my mom's side or my dad's side, you know, our ancestry were Lebanese, were Arabs or Syrians, okay. depending on what year you looked at. Mm. We were merchants, right? So basically what's in our it was in our blood. And so it's, it's something you grew up learning and seeing and Yeah. Okay. So like we, we grew up in a grocery store. I think um every one of my cousins on my mom's side, like her nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters, all had a grocery store and they all grew up in one. Okay. So it's something we've inherited our great-grandfather, you know, it's just something we were accustomed to. And I know you love what you do. So what is it that you love about owning a market? Well, I love doing it because I like people. I like connecting with people. Okay. You know, everybody wants to be there. You always hear like, you know, we all go to university, college, get a degree, master's, PhD. And then we strive for higher learning. And then you're like, oh, I want to be my own boss or there's that romanticist about it and thinking like, oh, it's great to be your own boss. But then with me, it was kind of like that. But then I realized, you know, I kind of accidentally fell back into the business. Okay, explain um, that. So like basically my parents, you know, my father who's deceased now and my mom decided to sort of like get in, expand the business. Like we went, we, we sold the grocery store. And we opened up a, a Middle Eastern uh, fast, fast sort of fast-paced restaurant called Taza Deli. Okay. And then, as that grew ten years down the line, I was like, I'm bored. I want to try something different. I'm going to go do the grocery store again. I'm going to reinvent a grocery store. And my parents thought I was crazy, so we took over our old location. Okay. And I did it, and it was neat because. I was working with my family for the past 10 years previously, but this is more my own little island. Okay. And it was nice because I got to work with people, create things, and do initiatives that I thought communities wanted and people wanted. Such as? You know, like just like the first time we opened up, we, we plastered the windows on our construction. And we basically had our Twitter feed, our Facebook feed, like a notepad outside. Hey, it's your grocery store. Tell us what you want on the shelves. Ah. So we were in construction. So boom, right away, people were like, organic milk. I want this. I want that. You know, make sure you have craft dinner and Annie's homegrown. So we kind of gave the customers an idea of what they wanted, right? So we had this amazing selection of products in the beginning. We still do now. But we gave the customers initiative. And then, like, you know, we'd snap photos of the construction. And, like, we had this reader board outside. It was this white letter board. 
And like, you know, we used to put funny sayings on it before we opened up and people gravitated to it. And a week before Halloween, I thought I was going to be open, but I didn't open up. Okay. So I decided to go to the farmer's market and I bought like, I think it was like two, 3,000 pounds worth of pumpkins. And the store wasn't even open. I just spread them all around the block and I told people, hey, come grab a free pumpkin, check us out, right? Get, and I and I just engaging before we opened up and just, you know, people telling me, like, you know, this is what we want. We want this market to be this. And like understanding and getting that connection. And I really enjoyed it from the set go. So, well, and it sounds yeah. like you were really involved from the get-go in the sense that you cultivated your community, whether social media or in person, and just had something to speak about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we gave people an opportunity and a voice, and we weren't patronizing about it. It wasn't like, you know, give us uh, your input and we'll give you a coupon. It was like... Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, hey. no, I know. It's a very different approach and it's unique. But what I love about it is it's very authentic as well. Yeah. And I kind of learned that from my mom and dad. And my dad was like, remember, when you open this place up, you're now opening yourself up to a lot of other things. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I was like, give me a break, right? Okay. Like, yeah. And he was like, so, you know, as soon as you open the doors, right? Grocery stores and markets are quite unique. They're not like restaurants and bars, but people need them to eat and sustain themselves, right? So you see a different demeanor in customers. Customers are always going to come up to you and say, hey, look, this wasn't right. I need this. Can you help me out here? Or you get a phone call. I'm not feeling good. Can you deliver my groceries? Mm. And we had, like, when we grew up in 82, when we first moved, 81, when we first moved into Bridgeland, um, it was a very concentrated, an older European clientele, like okay. retiree. So that was their expectation was to deliver and to Yeah, and okay. you had that yeah, and we had always had that before, right? And now it was my dad was like, You think it was in the past, now what it is now. So it's interesting, like you get phone calls. I got a phone call from New York one day. Hey, my neighbor lives down the, my friend of mine lives in your neighborhood. Can you send her some groceries for Christmas? Aww. Can you do you know, things like that, right? Yeah. So you always have to be aware. So it's good like that. It keeps you on your toes and it keeps you humble and it allows you to meet a variety of people. Well, and I think your attitude and your flexibility, that approach and that perspective probably goes a long ways as well. You need to have that. Oh, for sure. If you're not like, you know, if you're not, if you don't open, you got to open yourself up in this business. You got to be there and you got to be okay. You got to be responsive intuitive to your customers and your neighbors, right? Because you live in yeah. the neighborhood, they, they shop from you and you have to you have to be there for them. So you mentioned that you learned a lot of this from your parents, but I know that when you first started Bridgeland Market, you also hired a business coach. So how did you select your coach and what did you learn from him or her? Okay, so here's what happened. So when I first opened the market, I had this plan a couple, like 2008, I was thinking about what does this neighborhood need, right? Okay. And, you know, it's like, oh, I did all business plans, strategies, and I approached banks and stuff, and I tried to do it on my own. Do you have and a business degree? I'm just curious. No, no, okay. no. I have, a, I have a degree in community rehab and disability studies. Okay. Basically, in a nutshell, I was a mental health worker. It was a degree that worked with individuals with developmental disabilities and a multidisciplinary um, 
facet, right? So you yes. look at all sorts of things and from community development to inclusion to advocacy. So that's what my degree was. Okay. So it was basically like a social worker. Okay. Not a business person. Um, we'll come so back yeah. to that in a second. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I didn't have the business strategies and like the like the undergrad courses. I think I did one finance course in business in university. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, finance for nonprofits. So you wouldn't even count that. <laughs> so back to that, I, I, I went to the banks and they were like, yeah, whatever. Right now, we can't lend you any money because you got to do it on your own. And so 2011, I opened the store up with barely any money. And I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working. And then I'm like, you put, you're grinding it out. You're, you're hitting everything hard. And you're saying to yourself internally, like, what am I doing wrong? Something's not right here, right? Like, I'm working nine nine to 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Like, I feel like there's the spidey senses are going off, right? Yeah. So I I ran into a friend of mine uh, that that I've worked with before. And I said, hey, uh, what what do you guys have at the Business Development Bank of Canada? Well, we have a, not only do we lend money to small businesses, medium-sized and large businesses, but we have a consulting side. So I thought about it, went online, and I realized I needed my own boss. I needed somebody to tell me what I was doing wrong. Yeah. And I needed that. So I took two approaches to it. I said, okay, what am I trying to build here? Okay. Okay. So I grabbed someone in HR management and policies and sort of the old total vision and what we do. Then I grabbed someone who was into the finance to look at the finer numbers because entrepreneurs are not good business people. Ooh, yeah. Because people don't know, people think, oh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurs are like business people. Yes and no. Like for me, my definition, an entrepreneur will see a, see something and say, okay, it's going to work and doesn't do the numbers, doesn't do the math, just no planning and hammers it out and builds the Mona Lisa of Mona Lisas. It looks great. You either hit it or miss, right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas a business person looks at it, strategize and say, okay, let's plan it out. Weaknesses, strengths. Is it financially viable? Well, who's your customer base? Right. So I had to bring those two worlds together and to harness what I was doing. And that's what I did. And from that, you know, I like I see my business triple, uh, having people to tell me, look, when you do this, this is what you're actually saying, and this is the result. Okay, for every dollar you spend here, you're losing out here. You're making here. It, it, it changed the way I thought, right? Okay. So it was amazing, and it's with a lot of small independent business owners. Anybody who creates something and builds something always feels like has this pride, like, hey, I did it myself. I don't need anybody. But I realized I had to. So would you say the most valuable piece of that was being able to shift your perspective? Yeah. Like I always have this perspective when I go into anything new. I I pretend like I'm in the first day of my very first university class, shaking in my boots. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Oh my God, I better have a pen that works and oh my God, I better do my notes right. And that's how I approach it because you're raw and you open yourself up to learning. It's when we close ourselves off to learning, we kind of like don't evolve. And that's what I, 
I realized in my business is that I have to evolve. Yeah. In order to in order for it to, to grow and to survive and sustain itself. And that there's a learning component to it. And that is going out there and seeing outside people and other aspects and saying, Okay, teach me. You know? So how do you continue to evolve? So after you've run a business successfully for a number of years, how do you continue to maintain that fresh perspective? Every day I figure out, okay, always making the – I have this thing. I wake up and I say to myself, okay, what can I do better that I didn't do yesterday? How can Um, I make my business better? All right? Yeah. And then I take the perspective, okay? We all run businesses. People run businesses or in the financial world. It's all about profitability. It's about running the bank. It's keeping the doors open. I have a motivation where, okay, I'm a business. I have 30-plus staff between the two businesses such with support staff. I, um, I have a community that needs a grocery store or needs services. So how do I maintain these and keep them going and making sure that these things I'm responsible for are shepherded properly. I like because, that. Yeah, because if you don't, right, you just become like, you turn into like Sam Walton when he thinks of Walmart. He's like, okay, great. I opened this door. I'm going to open thousands and look what that, you know what I mean? There's different approaches to different businesses, right? Right. Yours sounds and, a lot more personal. Mine's more per- like you know the irony in all this is when I first opened it up I said I'm not going to be a personal sized business it's just going to be a business I'm going to do it right I'm not going to be the face I'm not going to be like hey look at me right right but essentially unfortunately that's what it turned into in a good way I had to be that person I had to be the face of it people said hey this is what's up so that's what. That's what my business has evolved to, and as a family of businesses we have, both of them are like that now, and we, and that's what we strive to do daily. So let me go back to shifting your perspective in that uh, line of conversation. So starting off as a social worker, how did your problem-solving approach change and evolve as a business owner? That's interesting you say that. I had a conversation with a mental health worker the other day. And she was like, oh, it must be interesting being a business person and taking it from, let's say, a social worker like perspective. I go, it's a, it's a hindrance sometimes. Because in the business world, this is like, it's like perform or basically do do or get off the pot, right? Yeah. yeah. Where my old profession was like, okay, let's realize, let's see why this person isn't performing. What are the parameters? Let's talk about it. Oh, you didn't show up to work on time today? Is everything okay? You know? So those two worlds don't mesh properly sometimes because okay, when you need to be like, hey, look, I'm paying you to be here at 9 o'clock. Your expectation is to be here at 9 o'clock. Right? Mm-hmm. You also say, okay, you realize that person is maybe tired, going through some stuff. So it's a tough balance, right? Because sometimes you make decisions that are not business-based decisions. You make more like a holistic approach, and it it can it can bite you in the it can bite you sometimes. Okay, but I would think too 
that you must be somebody good to work for in the sense that I know you will probably go up to someone and say, hey, my expectation is that you're here at nine o'clock, but the next question out of your mouth is probably, is there something wrong? And I think that probably benefits your business and your customer base and everyone in the sense that if something is wrong on a personal level, that you can't show up on a professional level. We'd all like to believe it to be differently, but the truth is that it isn't. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. It, it, it helps out sometimes with that kind of stuff. But then when you talk to some of the business coaches and some of the HR people, they're like, I get it, but what are you saying to the rest of the people? This is what's up. You know what I mean? So you run a tricky balance. It's a, it's a balanced approach you have to take, right? Yeah. And it's like sometimes you keep people longer than they should be there. Because you're like, well, you know, this, like, uh, you know, nine times out of ten, if they would have done that elsewhere, they would have been let go a long time ago. So we've evolved in that area where we kept the balance of it. Okay. Where, where we look at it from, okay, we take this approach. This is who I am as an owner. And this is why I'm wired as to be like. So how do we balance that and not lose who I am? And, but yet, not also lose my shirt and my mind right. at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, Moving Forward listeners, if you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. So along those lines, I have to ask, what do you do best? And usually I have to give individuals permission to brag, so permission granted. I don't know. That's a tough one. Like, what I do best is basically listening to people's needs. Ah. Right? Okay, like assessing situations. Okay. It's yeah. interesting because your answer is so simple, but it it's a ta- as a task, it's simple but not easy. No, like, you know, you walk in there, I could tell when the customer's looking at the shelf. If, let's say, they're not happy, something, there's an issue, you know, those are my strengths. And sometimes it's hard to explain that to people around you, right? Like, hey. I could explain to you where I see issues happening and they won't see it till let's say 20 steps down the line. They're like, Oh, now I get it. Ah, and it's, again, it's a double edged sword, right? Right. So is there a way that you can combat that where you head off the problem at the pass, if you will? Yeah. I'm learning strategies, you know, like that's where, that's where business coaching comes in and consultants that come in and say, okay, let's look at this use of how can you do this better? Okay. You know, Yeah. So one of the things I know that holds a lot of individuals back is the idea of asking for help. As you were saying earlier, you know, a lot of people, this is my business. This is the way I'm going to do it. I have a passion and they don't want to let any outsiders in. So what advice would you give to someone who's afraid to ask at this juncture? Well, that's the thing. My advice is this. Okay. Think of when people ask for help at the last moment. Let's use scenarios. Oh, throw me a lifeline. Okay, you're in the middle of the water and you're drowning. Okay, what are the probabilities of you getting a lifeline when you're in a risky position as is? Mm. Right? Right. Or when you're on a boat and the water's getting rougher, should I put my life jacket on and assess the situation? You get what I'm saying? I do. So, so like, basically, is like, you know, businesses have evolved to say, okay, look, whether people, businesses, uh, whatever we do nowadays, we must always look at it's not about you. And if you're in a position of some mm. sort of authority, influence, power, you also have to have 
the ability to have people say to you, okay, this is where your flaws are, this is what's going on, in order for you to grow. So there are a number of things you said there. So assessing risk. So at what point do you assess risk, right? Mm -hmm. And then not taking things personally, which I think is hard for people to do. How do you not take things personally? Because sometimes that feedback will really, you know, bruise your ego. Oh, it's like you sit there and like, what are you talking? What are you thinking? You <laughs> cross your arms and you're like, yeah. It's like a, it's like almost being on a Maury Povich show. Right. right? <laughs> but then I say, okay, be like a Barbara Walters interview. Oh, okay. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you for that lovely insight. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, got, it's, it's, it's one of those it's things something where you, you have to do. Like what I was saying later? about the boat, right? Yeah. Right. Like it's an analogy where people sometimes they'll be out of like we all been in the sea, right? And okay, don't put your life jacket on when the sea when the boat's about to capsize. Right. All right. There's telltale signs. Okay. So basically, realize that as you grow as a person, as your businesses goes up and down, that you're going to need some outside help. Okay. Yeah. All right. You can cocoon yourself. Like this is the best part. You can cocoon yourself with yes people all the day, all all day, every day, right? And yes people would say to you, "You're the greatest person in the world." Well, the reason why you say that is because I'm signing your check. Right. 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 And it's funny what comes to mind right now as you're talking is Michael Jackson and how he did that. Through, you know, towards the end of his career and. It obviously didn't help save him or give him happiness either, right? Because if yeah. you have yes men, you're not growing on a personal or a spiritual level, and there's a real emptiness in that. I, you know, it was funny. I was watching. I think it was the last season of The Sopranos. I know this sounds kind of funny, but like, why I bring this one up? And there was this. There was a sort of like couple series where Tony was like, "I got a bunch of yes people around me," and he didn't know why. He was like always, so he had to go to an outside source and talk to them about like this person laughs at every stupid joke I say. He says stupid, so he's like realizing internally, okay. At the end of the day, you always need outside people to clarify things for you. You know that's why your accountant is always arm's length. That accountant's going to say to you, "Hey, buddy, this is wrong." Right. 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 Yeah, there's and a that's lot of where coaching that. and consulting comes in, and that's where you have to be open to it. Like some people aren't, some people you can't, right? Some people are egomaniacs and think they know what they're doing. And I, I read this in a book. Great, read it in a book, but bounce it off somebody that doesn't see you. You know what right. I mean? So at the end of the day, right? We as no matter what we do, I'm sure in the legal profession. You always looked up to somebody right. within your firm, your department, or somebody that was sort of like a. You, you had know, gone before. Yeah. Done it and say to you, listen, yeah. okay, this is what's happening to you. Watch it. Yeah. So, in that genre, would you consider yourself spiritual? Would you consider yourself religious? And to you, what is the difference? Well, okay. Spirituality is a very, very interesting perspective in the world. You know, like there's religion and spirituality. Okay. To me, religion, I believe in religions, right? Okay. Religions are okay. 
here's the Torah, here's the Quran, here's the Bible, here's the book of the, here's Jehovah, all these different spiritual books, Hinduism, all this. These are the, these are sort of like here's your foundation, okay? This is what your tenements are. This is what we believe in the commandments, okay? That's religion. Spirituality is implementing them and finding the right path within that spiritual religious belief to follow through. So right? it's like a recipe and then actually cooking the meal. That's a journey, right? Spirituality okay. is a journey, right? Right. Like, like you know, a lot of times, like, in my perspective, is like, okay, yes, I'm, I believe in religion, but, like, people sometimes say, you're not religious. I'm spiritual. To me, religion and spirituality go hand in hand, right? Okay. For me, religion taught me about faith and all these commandments and stuff, but that's up to me to take that thing and bring it to the spiritual side and follow through with it. Mm. You know, a lot of people like, damn religion and damn this. I'm like, no, you don't have to damn it. It's just find the just spiritual path. You have to modify path. it. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's finding the spiritual path, right? Like, there's all sorts of people that have done it throughout the years, right? On all the religions. They they believed in, okay they, okay, they always have to look internally and say, oh, is this working for me? Challenging themselves and sequestering themselves, whether it be in the desert, high on a mountaintop, right. you know, and thinking things through, right? Right. And it's interesting nowadays because it's like... Right, there is a lot of, I mean, there, to an extent, a lot of anti-religious rhetoric. I like the way you described it, though, and the analogy that comes to mind for me is if I have a recipe book or I'm watching the Food Network or what have you, someone can teach me how to do it, but then I actually have to go into the kitchen and make a mess and create the meal myself. And then all of a sudden, yeah, exactly. And, like, you know, it was interesting. Like, I, I listened to spiritual. One time, like, it was interesting when you called, contacted me, and I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Like, you know, it, so I, I just, you know, I opened myself up. I said, okay, like, look, everyone's got to be, not everyone's a perfect person. And not all, like, when you hear the word, I hate to use the word bastardized, but religion has been bastardized. Yeah. Because, you know, we see such a, like, you know, I refuse to watch Bill Maher anymore. Because anytime he talks about religion, he he makes people, people who believe in religion as, he makes them feel like they're some sort of like subhuman, subhuman people, right? And I'm like, it's just that topic has really polarized people. Well, I think um, it's so interesting that you say that because I just kind of had an aha moment as you were speaking because I think what people don't like about religion is that people can become very zealous and see it mm -hmm. as an absolute and there's no mysticism and there's no faith left in it. And when you talk about Bill Maher, same thing. There's no wiggle room. There is no shade of gray you know you're either smart or you're not so you either believe x or you believe y and it's the same thing but from opposing sides of the aisle yeah and it's like in this day and age right you know you know being muslim nowadays is not like easy especially in a western context because there's a lot of misunderstanding and there's constant media bombardment and you're always like i find i have to defend myself about religion mm -hmm. for no apparent reason. Let's get into that. So 
what are your thoughts on the the rhetoric that we're seeing nowadays? And I know specifically you live in Alberta and Canada has agreed to take Syrian refugees. There's been a lot of nasty talk from a lot of the American presidential mm-hmm. candidates about that we can't do it, we won't do it. It's quote unquote not safe. So what are your thoughts on what's going on now? My thought is this, what's going on now is we're having a discussion. Okay? Like let's go to a dinner party and put nine people in the city. Let's put 10 people at a table that, you know, from different viewpoints, right? And talk about religion and politics. Yeah. Let's throw okay. in sex for good measure. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, like, my whole view on it is just like, look, the word refugees. Right now, Syrian refugees are the most talked about refugees in the world. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'm from, ancestrally, I'm from that region. Mm-hmm. It means a lot to me. But I look at it as, look, guys, there's a global crisis of migration going on. Right. Southeast Asia. We have Africa. We I live in Latin. San Diego. You have Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, like, relax a bit and realize that in the next four to five years, I don't think we, a lot of people realize that this issue is going to be more and more abundance, right, as the world changes. And what's sad about it is, is that, like, people are like, oh, my God, we can't let refugees in. Well, unfortunately, we had the perfect storms in both countries. Canada had a one election. Mm-hmm. The U.S. is in an election year. Right. Okay. What's the easiest way to, to, to win an election? Divide and conquer with fear. Mm, okay, you pick yeah. a poster child, you pick a guinea pig, and you hammer it. Okay, and when they sit in those rooms of strategists, the political sides on both sides, who cares? It's cannon fodder, let it go, you know. And it's pretty visceral, it's just like wow, like it really brings out the nastiness in people. Yeah, there's like, no I, compassion in any of those answers, which you would think that as a politician, if you were responsible for, you know, other people's. Safety, in a sense, and livelihood, in a sense, you would take into account all people and not throw one group under the bus, I guess would be my... And yeah, we've thrown a lot, and that's the thing, right? And I think what it is, like the issue of Syrian refugees is very polarizing, because why? Within that migrant, Syrians and Iraqis, let's take a look at that, that population of refugees. Okay. You have Muslim, you have Muslims, you have Christians, okay. Mm-hmm. You have LGBT in that group, okay. So now, when all these people migrate, all these political factions get together, like whether they're right-wing evangelical Christians, whether they're anti-Muslim, whether LGBT and left-leaning, right-leaning, they all get together and they're like fighting over this this population as if they're at a puppy store. Mm, yeah. You know? Yeah. And not seeing the big picture. Right. Like, okay, realistically, there's, like, okay, here's the thing that strikes me. In 2005, last year this time, there were boats leaving northern Africa going to you to Italy, going to, going to Italy. Thousands upon thousands of people were dying. Okay, Drowning in the middle of the Mediterranean. Right. It was a crisis going on. But I asked people to say this to yourself. Now, these people were mostly from sub-Saharan Africa. Okay. Okay. 
yeah, there was an outcrying. We had to fix it, but it wasn't that that outpouring as we see now. And and this is a very very interesting question I pose, right? Like I was wondering, like you know, that child that was found drowned on a on a beach, you know, it was shocking, yeah. right? But I remind people that thousands upon thousands of other people had died. This issue has been going on for years. A lot of them are from sub-Saharan Africa. Are we like are we affording these people the same the same like the same um, the same rights? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it boggles my mind, right? Right. And it's really sad. Like this this thing, like in America, right? Right. You have people come up and like, oh my God, are you basically saying the like just some of the stuff like I, I don't even repeat it, but like, and these people have the platform and people in power of influences ears. And I think it was interesting, like when we were like in the seventies and eighties and sixties, politics was a was like a limited group of people, right? Correct. There was limited access of power and influence. And I'm not saying as, we should go back to that. No, no. But as the eighties and nineties evolved, there was this mechanism in our campuses and school. We became more active, more socially aware. Let's free Tibet with the Beastie Boys. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was at, I was at yeah, that yeah. concert. <laughs> Oh my God! I love the Dalai Lama. He's so great for Africa. No, 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 no. no. You know what I mean? Do you remember no, I, those yeah. days? I do. I was there. Yeah. Yeah, like you'd have people wearing, oh, the Dalai Lama. He's such a spiritual guy for Africa. No, actually, he's from <laughs> Nepal, right? But like that's the type of people, and that's what happened, right? We got right. this like total like evolution of like people, and it was like wow. This is like how we get influence, right? And we are like sheep sometimes. Mm. And sometimes we're fed certain things. And it's like, you know, I went to this rally. I went to this group and they told me this on climate change. They told me this on no climate change. I went to my church. I went to my mosque. I went to my synagogue. They said this, this, this. It's gotten all murky and dirty. Well, it sounds like it's sound bites, right? Instead of reading a full article. And even if you read a full article nowadays, it would be four paragraphs instead of 15. Collateral language. Yeah. Like, how was the last time you really read a news article? Like, I was looking at yesterday. 1988. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was sitting there yesterday reading the Rolling Stones article on Sean Penn. I'm like, oh, I hope they have a sound bite because I really don't have time to read them. <laughs> and that's what I have on that issue as well is sound bites. That's really. Yeah, exactly. Because we yeah. want everything compressed. And that's what we've done with our political leaders, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what we're, I think, as a society, we're, as a whole, we're not seeing the big picture like we're just we're we're looking at like okay i'm happy for what i have everything is great you know just i rather have them than them like no one does the informed decision anymore very true Hmm. so when do you skip moving on moving to the next topic that could get a little darker (laughs) when do you feel the most free um it depends. Like when I feel the most free is like basically like, you know, my my hobby is like I like to fish, right? Okay. So when I'm around the body, any body of water, ocean, lake, river, I feel like oh, this is free and liberating. You know, I can't control the temperature. I'm in the middle of the ocean or a river or a stream. I can't turn the volume off or the sound off. Right. You know. I just have to accept what I where I'm at and just ex- and go with it. 
Mm, I like that. I think nature is a really good place too. Yeah. Yeah. Nature does that to us all. Yeah. I like it. That sounds good. So if our listeners wanted to learn more about you, connect with you, is there a way they can do so? Are you available on social media? Uh, my social media handle, it's Yusuf Bin Shawarma. Okay. <laughs> yes. For, why you, uh, for Twitter, is that? <laughs> yes. My okay. Twitter account is Yusuf Bin Shawarma. <laughs> it's a very like, I don't know why I picked it, but <laughs> you sold Shawarma and I was like, Yusuf, the father of Shawarma. All right. Got it. Yeah. Yes. And then Bridgeland Market's on Facebook, I know. Yeah. We got okay. a Facebook website, bridgelandmarket.com. Uh, you can look us up on Facebook, Instagram. Okay. All that good stuff. Got it. And we'll have these available on the our website as well. Excellent. I will get you all the proper spelling and all the good stuff. Beautiful. Yusuf, thank you so much for being here today. <laughs> thank you for having me. This is awesome. <laughs> and listeners, thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Yusuf or any of our guests, please go to bemovingforward.com. That's bemovingforward.com. Until next time, I'm Kristen Nepper. Satnam. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and bemovingforward.com. All rights reserved.